And turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, and I'm going to um, just read for us uh, verses 1 through 12. Romans 14, beginning in verse 1, this is what Holy Scripture says. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in our life and our lives. We thank you, Lord, that in Christ um, all our sins have truly been paid for and that we have this glorious hope that one day he's going to return and he's going to restore all things, the new heavens and new earth. And he's going to glorify us and make us into his very image. So, Lord, we thank you for these truths. We thank you this time that we can worship you as a people. And Lord, as we look to your word now, we pray, God, that you would enlighten our minds, that we would understand your word, but that we would not only understand it, but that we would truly conform ourselves to it and seek to live according to your word, the truth that is found here, Lord. We pray this so that you would be honored and that we would seek to love one another all the more. In Christ's name, amen. Over the next few weeks, we're, um, we're going to do a little series on Romans chapter 14. Um, I, um, um, well, let me just say this. I, I think it's good for us to be here. Um, I think uh, not just our church, but I just mean the church in general right now. Um, it's incredible to see how many Christians um, are fighting and um, friendships are being destroyed. Churches are being split over what I would consider many things to be disputable matters. And so I think it's important for us to be here in Romans chapter 14 um, and to focus our heart and minds on what Paul has to say here in Romans 14 because I think it's very timely for us as a church. Now this morning we're going to be looking at the first four verses. Um, so this, I'll just 
give you a heads up that it's going to feel a little incomplete. In other words, you might leave here with more questions because to really grasp everything that Paul's saying in Romans 14, you need to have to really grasp the whole passage, including Romans 15 as well. Um, but this morning we're going to look at the first four verses and we're going to seek to understand what Paul is teaching us here in Romans chapter 14. Now, um, it's never a good thing to start a book uh, in the middle of a book. And it's definitely never a good thing to start a book near the end of a book. And that's what I'm doing here with Romans. Um, so before we get into Romans 14, let me just give you some introductory comments to the whole book as a whole. This will be very brief. So um, the first 11 chapters of Romans, what you have is really Paul articulating the great salvation we have in Christ through the gospel. This salvation, of course, has come to both Jew and Gentile because the Roman church was made up of both Jew and Gentile. So, so in the first chapters of Romans, the first 11 chapters, Paul is, is really articulating that, that both Jew and Gentile, there is really actually no difference before God. They are both guilty, they are both condemned before God, but that both of them through Christ can be reconciled before God. And so the first 11 chapters um, focuses on the indicative verb, what God has done for us in Christ. But then there's a shift at the beginning of chapter 12 where the focus goes from the indicative verb to the imperative verb. That is, in light of what God has done, now we are being called to do something. What ought we to do as Christians in light of what God has done for us in Christ? So in chapters 12, 1 to 2, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, so Paul makes this incredible articulation of the gospel from chapters 1 through to 11. And now in Romans 12, he's calling us to respond by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice in worship to God. So, Romans 1 to 11, indicative verb, what God has done. Romans 12 to 15 is Paul unpacking what true Christian living is in light of what God has done. So, in verses 1 to 2 of chapter 12, he defines true spiritual worship. In verses 3 to 8 of chapter 12, Paul then begins to unpack for us how, how we have all been given different gifts by God to be used in service to one another. And then chapter 12, 9 uh, to 21, he, unta he unpacks for us what genuine love looks like uh, amongst fellow Christians, but also amongst unbelievers, how we ought to love unbelievers, right? And then chapter 13, 1 to 7, he calls us to, to submit to the authorities as ordained by God. And then chapter 13, 8 to 10, he talks about how love is the fulfillment of the law. So to live a life of love is to fulfill the law. And then chapter 13, verses 11 to 14 Really what he does there is he calls us to wake up and pursue holiness. To wake up and pursue holiness. So all of that is a response to what God has done for us in Christ. And then we come to chapter 14, where Paul addresses unity, uh, diversity, where he addresses disputable matters, non-essentials, opinions. And I think the reason Paul does this is to make sure we as followers of Jesus Focus our lives on those things that are most important. Like the things 
in verse 8 to 14 of chapter 13. To love one another and also to wake up and pursue holiness. You see, Paul knows that as humans, we have this ability. And I don't mean ability in a positive sense. I mean ability in a negative sense. We have this ability to major on the minors and to minor on the majors. We can become so easily consumed over disputable matters, our opinions, rather than being consumed with the things that really matter most in the economy of God. It's so easy for us to obsess over things that have no real eternal significance. We can become dogmatic about these disputable things. And I think it actually, it prevents us from enjoying superior realities. John Piper a few weeks ago was asked a question about pastoral ministry and and what was one of the things that really amazed him um, over his 40 years of pastoral ministry. And what, what, what was shocking was the thing that he talked about was was what amazed him was to see how easily it is for Christians who love Jesus to become so consumed and captivated by such disputable, trivial things in life rather than being captivated with the triune God and the incredible salvation we have in Christ. This is what he says. What I've seen over the years is that there's a certain kind of personality, or more seriously, we could call it a certain kind of spiritual condition that seems unable to be profoundly engaged with, unable to be deeply moved by, unable to rejoice in the great, central, glorious realities of the Christian faith. They're always on the margins. It's as though their minds and hearts are like magnets that are constantly attracting attracting little iron fragments from the edges instead of the big, massive thing at the center. And ultimately, the things of greatest importance get neglected. The glory, the wonder, the beauty of the Christian faith is passed over, and they're always fascinated with marginal things that are not preeminent. Here's an example, because I felt this so personally over the years as I was a pastor, because there were people like that in my church. I knew them. I knew how they responded to things. I recall preaching a sermon one time and pouring out my heart concerning Christ and his work and his beauty and his brightness and his worth, his humble perfections as a man, his agonizing death, his triumphant resurrection, his victory over Satan and hell and death, his reign in heaven, just giving everything I had to show the magnificent, glorious, weighty, central reality of Jesus Christ in the way of salvation. And a man took my hand at the door after, afterward and with great excitement said, have you seen this article? It was an article that put another puzzle piece in place for his little conspiratorial fascination. Now that response wasn't new for him. It was typical. It didn't surprise me, but it was just sad. He could sit under the passionate biblical preaching of the greatest realities in the universe and be absolutely unfazed, unfazed by that because of his controlling interest in marginal speculations. And here's the reality. Each of us can fall prey to that as well. And I think the Apostle Paul in Romans 14 wants to remind us that there are way more important things in life than trivial, non-essential, disputable matters. There are way more important things in life than our opinions. Now let me be clear. Paul's not condemning having opinions. 
we all have opinions and certain convictions about things. And that's totally okay. The problem is, is when we become rude, hostile, judgmental towards those who share a different opinion over disputable matters. Or when we define Christian orthodoxy over these disputable matters. And so what Paul wants to address is, is how we as believers maintain unity in the midst of diversity over non-essential things. And so here in verse 1, Paul begins by addressing the strong in faith. He says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now Paul doesn't mention the strong in faith here, but it's assumed based upon the text where he says, Welcome the weak in faith. In other words, if you are strong in faith, you have a responsibility to welcome the weak in faith. Now, I think it's important for us to step back and to define our terms, okay? So, when, when Paul uses the term weak in faith, according to Romans 14, what is Paul meaning? What's he referring to? Any thoughts on that? Could be a new believer. A new believer, yeah, possibly a new believer. Maybe someone doesn't know the word as much. Maybe someone who doesn't have a full grasp of the word as much. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Think about what Romans 14 is all about. PJ. People who are easily swayed. <clears throat> People who are easily swayed. Okay, so. yeah. Yeah, that could probably be in, be in that category. Any other thoughts? Well, there's mature Christians that immature Christians. Immature Christians. So, so I think so. That I think this is a good point. So, I think this is really important because I think when people read this, we often think in those categories: mature and immature, um, character versus lack of character, um, godly will versus lack of godly will. But that's actually not what Paul's saying whatsoever. Um, the fact is, there are people who are weak in faith who are godlier than people who are strong in faith. Um, what Paul is referring to here as weak in faith, it has to do with one's conscience in not allowing him or her to participate in certain things that God does not condemn. So it's not describing a vulnerable Christian. It's not describing a Christian who's, who's easily swayed by the devil or by sinful desire. No, no, it's, it's describing what I would call a sensitive and I don't mean that in a negative sense, but genuine sensitivity to certain things. So that's what it means to be weak in faith, right? It, it's your conscience doesn't allow you to participate in certain things that God doesn't condemn, okay? Now, if that's weak in faith, how do we define the strong in faith? Does everyone understand what I mean by weak in faith? No. No? Okay. So I'll, I'll give you an illustration in, a, uh, in just a second, okay? So uh, so the weak in, yeah. Is it like there's some Christians that believe like drinking out beer is a sin, so their conscience bothers them, so they won't drink a beer. But another brother, it doesn't bother him, so he's his conscience doesn't bother him, so he has that drink. Absolutely. Get drunk. Yes, yes, absolutely. So that, that's a perfect example, right? So so the weak, so we could probably use these terms instead, the free versus the bound. 
Instead of strong versus weak, we could use the free versus the, bre- the, be- the bound. So the strong in faith are the ones who, who feel a sense of freedom when it comes to certain things that God doesn't condemn. Whereas the weak in faith are the ones who, who even if God doesn't condemn it, they personally wouldn't partake of it because for them it would be sin. Okay, so it's the free versus the bound. So the perfect example is, is if Joseph um, loves to have a glass of wine with his dinner at night, and, uh, and Kathy and JP, they would believe it would be wrong for them to have a glass of wine for, with, with their dinner at night. Um, so in that context, who's the weak and who's the strong? You're the weak. Joseph's the strong. Now, it has nothing to do with godliness. It has nothing to do with character. It has everything to do with one's conscience. Okay? Like tattoos. Like, or tattoos, yeah. It could, it could, yeah, it could. Um, so, so in verse 1, Paul gives an exhortation to the free, the strong, right? And this exhortation has a positive and a negative to it. What's the, what's the positive thing he calls the strong to do in verse 1? To welcome. To welcome him, yeah. To welcome your brother or sister who is weak in faith who is more bound in faith. Now, when when Paul says that, what does he mean by that? Does does he mean simply like, if if JP's the the weak in faith and PJ's the strong in faith, like the the verse of letters, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, PJ comes, PJ, I'm now mixing them up. Uh, JP comes in and and to simply welcome him is for PJ to to be like, hey, just glad you're here. Is Is that what Paul means by welcoming him? Embrace love. Embrace him, yeah. Mm-hmm. Embrace him as one of your own, right? Um, really, the, the call is to embrace your weaker brother in the same way that you would embrace your stronger brother. Mm-hmm. To fully welcome him, to fully embrace him, to receive him. And then he also gives a negative, right? He says not to quarrel over opinions. That is to dis- disputable matters. So, so welcome him and embrace him. And really what Paul's saying is this. Don't embrace or welcome your weaker brother with the aim of trying to convince your weaker brother or sister of your own opinions over non-essentials. No no ulterior motives. That is, Joseph's not going to have Kathy and JP and, yeah, JP or Mr. (laughs) Uh, 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 Joseph's not going to have Kathy and JP over for dinner with the intent to Try to convince them that alcohol is okay. <laughs> Why? Because verse 1 tells us that breeds quarrels amongst Christians. So to the stronger saint, you have a responsibility to welcome, embrace the weaker brother or sister, and not to quarrel over opinions, disputable matters. But we need to ask, what are actually disputable matters? And in verse 2, Paul gives us one example. One person believes that he may eat anything. That's the free Christian. While the weak person eats only vegetables. Now let me, let me give you some context to this, okay? So the Old Testament law didn't com- command vegetarianism. But yet it seems like there were Christians in Rome who became vegetarians for a reason. Now most likely what's going on here is, is that you have Jewish Jews who are becoming Christians... And they are still bound to the law, the Old Testament law. They, they're, they're conscious still bound to the law. And so they can only meet, eat kosher meat. But living in Rome, it's very difficult to know whether the meat they are eating is actually kosher. And so instead, they just decide to become vegetarians. So in the Church of Rome, you have 
Jewish Christians who are vegetarians. In the Church of Rome, you also have Jewish Christians who would have come to a, a fuller understanding of the relationship between Christ and the law and how Christ fulfilled the law and how Christ declared all food clean. And so now you have also Jewish Christians in Rome who feel like they can eat anything, even pork, right? So now you've got two different groups in the church. But then on top of that, you have Gentile believers in the Roman church. And it's very possible that there would be even Gentile believers who would read the Old Testament law, and because maybe of a lack of understanding of how Christ fulfills all that, they might even find themselves bound to eating, to following certain laws when it comes to food in the Old Testament. And then, of course, you have Gentile believers who would be, feel completely free to eat anything. Now, which category was the Apostle Paul? Well, Cap Paul was the second one. He was a Jewish person, but he came to grasp that Christ fulfilled the law and that he declared all things clean, and so the Apostle Paul could eat anything, right? So within the Roman church, you have possibly four different groups, four different opinions over what one should eat and not eat. So at least in the Roman church, one disputable matter was what one should eat or not eat. Now, what are some other possible disputable, or what are some other disputable matters that the Bible makes clear is also a disputable matter? Verse 5 is a clue. The days of worship. Days of worship. Right? Yeah, different religious festivities, religious days. So for, for many Jews, right? Keep the Sabbath, right? Gentiles don't have to, right? There's a difference of opinion. One, one values one day as sacred, and the other values all days the same, right? Um, there's, a, there's food sacrifice to idols, right? Paul talks about that in Corinthians, where... For some Christians, the, the idea of eating meat that's been sacrificed to an idol was a complete no-no, right? But for other Christians, for Paul, he's like, what's an idol? An idol is nothing, right? I can eat meat sacrificed to an idol. I'm not worshiping the idol, right? So, so you have these, these issues within the church, the early church going on, and, and Christians are wrestling through how do we respond to one another, right? So in any given cultural context, there will be all different kinds of disputable matters. So, our cultural context. What might be some possible disputable matters? And I say some possible disputable matters because we might think something is a disputable matter, but when we actually hold it up to the Word of God, it might actually not be. Okay? So what are some, off the top of your head, some disputable matters that Christians disagree upon? We already said one, which was alcohol. Only King James Version. Only King James Version. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true, right? Um, it's kind that, of it's not as it's not as prevalent today as it used to be, but it's still in certain circles. Mm. But something happened, not to the same degree, but something happening similar with the Young Restless Reform Group, which which I was a part of. But you know, it was like ESV is the only thing that matters, <laughs> right? And um, it's like, no, actually, the if you if you really care that much, you should learn the Bible in its original language. Um, <laughs> what other what other ones? Baby baptism, yeah, that possibly be a dispute. It depends. It, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a theological difference. I don't know if it would fit in the category of disputable matter, because a disputable matter is something that's not inherently sinful. Whereas I think people who baptize their children, they're doing something wrong, but they're still my brother and sister in Christ, and I would still embrace them. But we wouldn't go to the same church. Uh, so it's not it's not it's not first priority because you know we're not calling them heretics, of course because they believe the same things we believe. Um, but it, it might not fit fully into that disputable matter category. What other, think of more practical things. 
This happened in the last group too. Everyone came through out theological things. I was like, no, we're looking think practical. <laughs> going to the theater? Sorry? Going to a theater? Going to the theater. Watching UFC fights. Yeah, so going to the theater was a... Going to a theater would have been a huge one back in my parents' generation when they were younger, right? Theater, cards, dancing. And, and we, we laugh, right? We Today we're like, what were they thinking, right? But it's fascinating how every culture has different things that, that come up. Music. Um, music. Yeah, what kind of music you listen to. Entertainment. Um, you know, there are clearly certain kinds of entertainment that are absolutely forbidden, but there is also entertainment that, that's great for people, right? That, that for some Christians, they could never watch any movie with any kind of violence. For other Christians, there's, there's, there's lots of room to watch certain movies with, with certain kinds of violence, right? Um, what, what else? Smoking. Smoking, yeah. Smoking cigars, smoking cigarettes. Um, uh, diet, I think, is actually a growing one amongst Christians. <laughs> diet? Uh, diet, yeah. Um, I think it's growing in society as a whole. Um, the, the health, it's all about health now, right? And, uh, and I think people can become very dogmatic about that. Um, I, I had a classmate who once um, made an argument that if Jesus was living here today, he would be a vegetarian, and therefore every Christian should be a vegetarian. <laughs> and my response was simply, well, I'm glad Jesus isn't living here today, and he declared all foods clean. <laughs> so I had a professor once make an argument for why Christians shouldn't go on vacations. Wow. Um, yeah. So there's lots of different things, right? Piercings. Piercings, yeah. Public health care versus private health care. Vaccines. Vaccines, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that's um, a big one. Uh, homeschooling, Christian school, public school, um, you might have a strong conviction on those things, and that's fine. The problem is, is when you think every other Christian ought to have the same conviction. Uh, parenting. Um, there are certain things about parenting that aren't disputable. right? Like if, if you never built and discipline your child, I would say to you, you're a negligent parent. But the way in which you discipline your child, that's disputable. There's room for difference on that. And I think, as Kathy said, the biggest one in our society today, I actually think, and this was before COVID, but it's only <laughs> increased since COVID, wow. is vaccinations. Mm -hmm. um, this is the hot topic. Um, I jokingly said to my dad, if people were as passionate about the gospel as they are about vaccines, the whole world would be converted three times over. Wow. Whether you're for or against. <laughs> um, here's the reality. If you, by conviction, and think it is good for you to get the COVID vaccine, then my response to you is, God bless you. And if you, by conviction and belief, do not want to get the vaccine, then my response to you is, God bless you. My response is the same in either case. And if you want to know my opinion on it, it's none of your business. <laughs> but what, this is what we do, right? We become obsessed over some of these things. Now, some of these may not be disputable matters, right? We'd have to hold some of these things up and, and compare it to the Word of God and say, okay, is this actually a disputable matter or not? But here's the point. The Church of Jesus Christ is made up of individuals who share different opinions and convictions on all of these things. And you know what God's solution is to this diversity of opinion over the non-essential things? It's not try to convince your brother of your view. It's not unanimity. It's not agreement on every topic. What the answer is or what the solution is, 
Check your attitude. And that's what Paul says in verse 3. Let not the one who eats, that is the strong or the free, despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains, that is the weak, pass judgment on the one who eats. So if you have, you have freedom to eat, you're the strong Christian, what are you not to do? You're not to despise. You're not to despise your weaker brother or sister. Now when Paul says, don't despise, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by don't despise? You almost want to look down on your work. Yeah, look yeah. down, disdain. Yeah. Um, it's really, you know, th these weak Christians are so pathetic. Get over yourself, you holier-than-thou Christians. Mm. Now, if you're the weak Christian, what are you not to do? Paul says, don't pass judgment. Mm. That is, the weak Christian and the strong Christian have two different temptations. One is to despise and the other is to judge. The weak Christian has a tendency to be censorious. That is, you have your list of do's and don'ts. And you stick to that list of do's and don'ts. And you expect everyone else to hold to that same list. It's to have a self-righteous attitude. I can't believe Joseph would drink that glass of alcohol. Does he not care about holiness? <laughs> you see, here's the issue. The issue isn't that you have these opinions or convictions over these non-essential things. The issue is that these things can become so important that any Christian who disagree with you disagrees with you is deserving of your judgment or disdain, even questioning whether they've compromised their faith. See, I've seen conversations between Christians over so social media regarding masks or vaccines that have become so hostile, you would think that they were debating the deity of Jesus. But that's what we do. We can so easily place these disputable issues on the level of orthodoxy. But Paul says here, don't despise or drudge your brother over these issues. Now, what's the reason Paul gives in verse 3 for why you shouldn't? Why you shouldn't despise or judge? What's the reason? The Lord has welcomed him. Yeah, for the Lord has welcomed him. For God has welcomed him, saved him. That's really what Paul's saying here. God has welcomed each and every single person in this church who is, who is born again of the Spirit. God has welcomed them, embraced them as his own because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And if God has welcomed your brother or sister who has a different opinion than you, then why are you? Why do you think it's okay to not welcome and even judge your brother or sister? That's Paul's argument. You see, if God can embrace us despite all of our ridiculous opinions, then why can't we embrace one another despite all of our ridiculous opinions? I, I truly think God sits on his throne and when he sees Christians going on about all their different opinions and convictions on certain things, I think he just laughs and I think he goes, man, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> see, we have to remember we have to remember that we are brothers and sisters of one another and not masters of one another. That's what Paul tells us in verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So let's just use this as a, as a, 
illustration. It's not a perfect illustration, but let's just use it as, as an illustration. So uh, let's say um, let's say I decide to hi hire Jennifer as my, my part-time administrator at the church, okay? And so one of the tasks that she's been given from me is to put the church bulletin together. So I tell her the font that, that's needed. I tell her the spacing that's needed. I tell her exactly how I want her to do it. And she does it perfectly to a T. But then on Sunday, JP <laughs> takes beef with the way Jennifer has done the bulletin. <laughs> and he goes up to her and he starts criticizing her work. Why, why do you use this font? Why not, why not this font? And, and why, did, why did you space things like that? And, 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 why? and he just goes on and on and he starts criticizing all of her work. Mm. Now, what has he done in that moment? He has put himself in a position that he has no right to be in. He's not her boss. I'm her boss. The <laughs> only person who has any right to criticize Jennifer's work is me. Right? But what he's done is he's taken my role. He's put himself in my role. That's what we do when we judge one another. That's what we do when we despise one another over disputable matters. We put ourselves in the place of God and judge our brothers and sisters as though we are their masters. And Paul says, none of that. None of that. None of that. And here's the thing. This isn't just prevalent in adults. It's prevalent in children as well. It begins in children. I'm a youngest child. I have an older brother. And my older brother likes to play dad in my life when I was a kid. He likes to tell me what to do and what I can't do. And my dad would often have to remind him, you are not Peter's father. You don't set the boundaries for Peter. I do. So if it's prone in children or if it's a reality in children, it's also a reality in us as adults. We are all prone to do this. Matthew Henry says this, We reckon it a piece of ill manners to meddle with other people's servants. Weak and strong Christians are indeed our brethren, but they are not our servants. We make ourse ourselves our brethren's masters and do in effect usurp the throne of God when we take upon us thus to judge them. God sees not as man sees, and he is their master and not we. If we must be judging... Let us exercise our faculty upon our own hearts and ways. To his own master, he stands or falls. How well for us it is that we are not to stand nor fall by the judgment one of another, but by the judgment of God. Now here's the reality. There are certain areas in life where we actually are called to judge one another, right? But Paul here is specifically addressing disputable matters. He's not speaking here about sin, right? Like if, if, if one of you is caught in sin, then each of us have a responsibility to help that brother or sister out of that sin, right? To hold them to account. Mm -hmm. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about disputable matters. He's talking about alcohol. He's talking about whether or not you, you are a Sabbatarian or not, right? And he's saying before God, none of us ought to judge one another because we are not each other's master. So in Romans 14, there are a lot of ways in which Paul calls us to strive for unity in the midst of diversity. And we're going to look at many of those ways in the coming weeks. But here are three that clearly come out of the first four verses. The first is this. We need to welcome one another, understanding that God has welcomed each of us in Christ. 
Remember that the brother or sister who comes through those doors, who have different convictions than you, remember that person was purchased by the same blood that purchased you. Secondly, we check our hearts to see whether or not we're despising or judging our fellow brother or sister over mere opinions of non-essential things. And then thirdly, we remember that we aren't each other's master and that we all answer to one master, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need to strive for in our lives as Christians, especially today in the midst of so much hostility and conflict over what's happening in our world. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you just for the practical nature of Romans 14 that you've entrusted to us. And I pray, Lord, that each of us would truly live in light of this passage, that we would truly humble ourselves before you and before one another, that we'd be willing to go low for each other just as Christ went low for us. Lord, I pray that you would also give us wisdom and discernment to be able to discern between those things that are disputable and those things that are worth dying for. I pray, Lord, that we would know the mountains to die on and the mountains to not die on. And I also pray, God, that you would just truly fill our hearts with love towards one another, that we would first and foremost be eager to serve one another, that we'd be quick to hold our tongues when it comes to our opinions, that we'd hold our convictions over our opinions with um, an open hand while while holding the things that matter truly in life with a closed hand. Help us in this endeavor, Father. We truly do want to live more like Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name.